0: Hello and welcome. Thank you for downloading this week's Sermon and Prayers of Intercession from the English Reformed Church, Amsterdam. We hope you will enjoy what you're
1: about to hear and that you will be blessed.
0: Let us pray. Living God, speak your word to our hearts that it may become flesh in our lives to the glory of your name. Amen. It's one of the classic encounters in the Bible. An extraordinary confrontation between God, who's only just led his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and Moses, God's right-hand man, who has been instrumental in this great escape. What's fascinating about this episode is what it reveals of God, what it reveals of Moses and of what it reveals about the Israelites. And so we are treated to a very different picture of God than we might expect. And we see a Moses who shows considerable tenacity in standing up to God and even outmaneuvering him. And we see disturbing features in the Israelites that we might just recognize in ourselves. So let's begin with the basic story. The Israelites, freshly sprung from captivity in Egypt, are traveling through the wilderness. A few chapters earlier, there had been an amazing scene on a mountain called Sinai, where God had made a deal with Israel. I will be your God, says God, and I will care for you, and I will protect you. But in return, you will be my people. And here are a bunch of commandments about how you should live as a liberated nation. And so you will exhibit to the world what life with God looks like. Well, that sounds like a plan, but now it's coming under severe stress. Moses is still up on the mountain and has been for a very long time, 40 days and 40 nights. And the Israelites are beginning to wonder what on earth is going on. Moses is their link with God. And now that he has gone AWOL, they are feeling bereft and they have a bright idea let's make gods who will go before us and guide us and so they gather up their jewelry and before you know it there is a golden calf and set and they set up an altar in front of it and then they are making offerings and they are reveling and cavorting before this idol these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt, they proclaim. And of course, in so doing, they are violating the very commandments that God was giving them. They are falling into, back into the very practices which God is delivering them from. Now let's turn our attention first to the mountain and to what's going on there. God sees what is happening below and is enraged. Indeed, he is ready to disown Israel. But Moses pushes back against God and changes God's mind. Just think, says Moses... What the Egyptians are going to say if you desert Israel now? Ha! So much for this God, he rescues people only to abandon them. What kind of a God is that? And so God thinks better of it. And Moses effectively outmaneuvers God, outsmarts God, not what we normally think of a sovereign, all-wise God. What is crucial about this scene, however, is the little picture it gives us of the gospel, the very heart of the faith that we possess. Possess there after all is god holy and above us and beyond us yet longing for communion with his human creatures reaching out to a people who he will love and who will return that love and down below there are we human beings so prone to idolatry so determined to make our own gods, so self-destructive and easily misled. And yet in between God on the mountain, the people down below, there is a mediator. Here it is Moses, Moses who stands between the people and God, representing them and pleading their cause. And God is not some austere sovereign who is unapproachable. But we glimpse here the humanity of God as Moses bends him away from the rigors of holiness and towards the pull of grace and mercy. And surely in that figure of Moses interceding, mediating, we see a prefiguring of one who will come in the fullness of time and stand between us and God. One who speaks for us and who becomes a channel of blessing and grace, tipping the tension between holiness and mercy towards mercy. Then it was Moses, now it's Jesus. And so salvation comes. It's all here in this incident, the very story of the gospel. Then, however, we move down the mountain to the people. And let's just focus on them for a moment. And I have to confess that I can't help feeling some sympathy For the Israelites here. They, after all, are vulnerable and anxious. Miraculously released from slavery by a God they hardly know. They have not yet learned to trust, and now they are facing the rigors of the desert. And Moses, their leader, has disappeared. And where previously On leaving Egypt, God had been with them in a cloud that led them during the day and a pillar of fire that accompanied them at night, signs of God's presence. Now these have evidently gone. Just when they need him, Moses has vanished and with him God seems to have gone as well. And so the Israelites experience that disturbing phenomenon known by many who associate with this God, namely his absence. It seems that sometimes when you need God, God is just not there. And perhaps we don't talk about this enough. Perhaps we sometimes fall into the trap of misselling God, offering God as a comfort blanket who is always there for us and whose presence we always sense walking with us, accompanying us. But that's not the picture here, and it's not the picture in many of our lives. Recently, our 20s to 30s group watched a lecture by a wonderful teacher and preacher called Barbara Brown Taylor. It was entitled Walking in the Dark. She spoke of the elusive side of God and the times of darkness and absence and silence that we experience with this God. And she used one particular image that stayed with me. She was talking about how we refer to God as light and we speak of faith as walking in the light and we speak of the sunny side of salvation. But she described how she lived, lives on a farm and it's often dark at night and some nights she goes out onto the veranda and she looks up at the moon And sometimes the moon is full on like a headlight. And sometimes it's just a slither. And sometimes it's invisible, hidden by clouds or by eclipse. And Taylor spoke of a lunar faith where the light of God may ebb and flow, and the sense of God's presence may come and go. You see, we cannot turn God on like a tap. We cannot control the presence of God. That's what the Israelites were trying to do by creating that idol. We may experience seasons as the Israelites did when we wonder where God has gone. And that is when the fellowship and the faith of the community of faith are so important as we allow the faith of others to hold us. And the church is called to be a place where faith is sustained when for some God is absent. Well, that brings me to my last point from this story. With God absent, with God departed, just look at what the Israelites get up to. They create other gods and they resort to self-indulgence and hedonism and excess. And it's no accident that the golden calf is made from jewelry, for it is the gods of wealth and materialism that take pride of place when God is removed. They say that nature abhors a vacuum, and there is something of that with God. With God apparently gone, a vacuum is created which is soon filled by other things. And let me suggest to you why I think we should be very concerned about this. Perhaps what is not always sufficiently appreciated is just how much the Christian faith has shaped our modern world. And how despite the church's failings, much that is admirable and humane comes directly from our society's Christian roots and our belief in the Judeo-Christian God. And so from its earliest days, Christianity challenged the Roman Empire with startling and momentous claims that human beings were fashioned in the image of the sole sovereign and gracious creator, that this God's Son had come and died equally for everyone, that in Christ, therefore, there was neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, that the poor and the vulnerable have a very special status in this God's eyes. And from these foundations there emerged in later centuries what we now take for granted, what we describe as enlightened that human beings, even the poorest and the weakest, have rights, that we are born equal, that we are owed sustenance and shelter and refuge from persecution. You see, these were not, and they never have been, universal, self-evident truths just to be taken for granted. They come from a specific world view presided over by the God of Israel and the God of Jesus Christ. And such convictions can be questioned when that God is questioned. And the philosopher Nietzsche, above all, understood how our civilization derives from our Christian God and our crucified servant Lord. And Nietzsche despised the exalting of mercy and gentleness and the honoring of the weak that emerged from this God. So a magazine published... By the Nazis SS in 1939 declared this harping on and on that God died on the cross out of pity for the weak the sick and sinners Christians then demand that the genetically diseased be kept alive in the name of a doctrine of pity but goes against human nature and a misconceived notion of humanity. Dostoevsky went so far as to declare that if God is dead, then everything is permitted. Here is the golden calf that emerges when the God of Mount Sinai is removed And well might we fear what arises from the depths. Some of you may have heard of Jean Vanier, the Roman Catholic theologian and humanitarian who died a few months ago. Vanier was the founder of a worldwide network of large communities where people with disabilities and their carers live together in deep bonds of friendship and respect and equality. And these communities have become profound symbols of a different politics. Pointers towards a different, a more humane, a more gentle society. But they are unintelligible without their grounding in the Christian God. And without that God, well, Vanier Vanier has warned that with current abortion practice, there will soon be no Downs Syndrome children left in France. Surely there could be no more devastating indictment than that of of a society whose moorings have cut loose from God and who are now enthralled to gods of their own making. So we have it. The mountain with the living God enthroned in holiness. Down below, the golden calf, the God of human making, the God of the rejection of God. And in between, the mediator, the intercessor, tipping the balance of justice towards mercy, a graphic picture of our faith. And we may experience the waxing and the waning of that God's presence. The ebb and flow as the Israelites did. We cannot control, coerce or constrain this God. But we do have the power to banish this God. And beware when we do. There is no saying what golden calf we will then fashion. And we are fashioning in his place.
1: Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God. Revealed to us in our crucified servant Lord, we pray today for our world, a world in thrall to the golden calf gods of materialism and greed, a world which exalts power and where conflicts and tensions are resolved by immediate recourse to war. We pray for those who are edged out of such a world, the refugee and the displaced, the asylum seeker, the old and the infirm, the disabled and those denied the resources of life. We pray for Syria as we think of the targeting of hospitals and the use of indiscriminate destruction of civilians. We pray today for Zimbabwe as it struggles to emerge from the brutality of dictatorship and we pray that it might become once more a prosperous nation where life flourishes. We pray for large communities around the world where the legacy of Jean Vanier lives on. May they bear witness to a more gentle and humane politics. We pray for children like Kiana, blessed this morning, that they may be protected against the perils of this world. And we pray that their lives may be honored, reflecting Christ's teaching that of such as these is the kingdom of heaven. And as this past week we commemorate the horror of the event event we call 9-11, we pray for an end to terrorism and for mutual respect between those of different faiths. We pray for those still scarred by that day and for other victims of our capacity for hatred Make us seekers of reconciliation and seekers of truth, wherever it may be found. And God, we pray today for those in our church community in special need of prayer. For Pamela Robertson in a care home. For Shana Fantaseling dying of cancer. For couples estranged from one another and in need of reconciliation. We pray too for the bereaved, those who are in pain due to the passing of a loved one. O God, bring healing, we pray, for their peace and rest. And hear us, As in a moment of silence, we pray for those in particular need. And we pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one mediator and reconciler who gathers up all, our prayers in one offering to you. Amen.